0: The 30 Days of Prayer booklet, I think, has been a great uh, opportunity and experience for us. I hope uh, many of you have appreciated that. Uh, You know, even if you haven't kept up or didn't get started on the right day, that makes a great focus just to pray for the church in general. There's only like three or four things in there that are time sensitive, but in general, just praying for the church. Um, is uh, I think a really significant thing I have appreciated those so and you still could pick one up if you don't have one today is commitment Sunday and at the very end of the service, our plan is is to let you know uh, where we stand uh, after the commitment cards that come in today and of course uh, if you haven 't put in a commitment card and you still want to, we will gladly take it even if we have a million dollars in at the end of the day so because whatever, ha- whatever comes in, we will just be able to grow forward sooner, okay? So, um, and thank you all who, for, who, who have made commitments. Bridge Kids, thank you for joining us. You're dismissed. We are in a series called Grow Forward with Prayer. And today we're going to look at John chapter 15. So you might want to turn there. We're going to look at verses 1 through 8. And um, we're going to ask the question, what can we learn about prayer? Prayer from God's perspective. Now also, we are going to begin with a history lesson. And uh, just you know, I'm just trying to help you out. And some of you guys don't like history, uh, but there's something here for us. And here it goes. In 1722, there was a wealthy, German Christ follower named Count Ludwig von Zinzendorf. Can we say that together, Count Ludwig von Zinzendorf? He opened his estate to a group of Christian refugees, 600 in fact, who had to flee from their home in Bohemia and Moravia, which is today the Czech Republic. This became a community called the Moravians. Another date, on August 27th, 1727, 24 men and 24 women made a commitment, made a covenant to pray each of them for one hour so that there was prayer going on 24 hours around the clock every day, every year. As this process continued, others joined in this group and began to read letters that came from missionaries and taking those requests and bringing them before God on a 24-hour basis. The 24-hour prayer cycle continued year after year. A decade passed two decades passed, three decades passed, 24 hours a day. In 1732, um, five years into this, Count von Zinzendorf, a committed follower of Jesus, suggested to the Moravians that they send out missionaries. It's almost as if they hadn't thought of that. The next day, 26 men volunteered to go and be missionaries. Within the first two years, 22 men had died and two were imprisoned. Immediately, others rose up and took their place. Of the 600 original Moravians, 70 became foreign missionaries. History tells the impact of their story. Their prayer meeting laid a foundation as what is called the First Great Awakening. Their prayer meeting lasted from 1727 until 1827, 100 years of prayer around the clock with at least one person praying every hour. This was the foundation to what we call today the first great awakening in Europe and America. Hundreds of thousands, this is true, hundreds of thousands of people came to faith in Jesus Christ as a result of this great work of God. And people have been studying this for years and years and years. How do we reproduce this? Is it possible that prayer is way more important than you and I think it is? Is it possible that we don't take prayer serious enough? So we're going to continue with uh, our Grove Forward with Prayer, John 15. 1 through 8, and the question is, is, what can we learn? I'm going to read the passage just so we can see it before we get started. This is John 15, and Jesus says these things. He says, "'I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will become more fruitful.'" If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So, what can we learn uh, about prayer? Uh, from God's perspective. Well, first of all, uh, if you follow along in your outline, in your program, understand what God requires for your life. Understand what God requires. It's what he desires. Prayer is not so much about what we want. Prayer is much more about what God desires. The context of John chapter 15 takes place uh, before the crucifixion. It's the night before the crucifixion. Uh, It's after supper, and Jesus will be dead. He'll be on the cross by 9 a.m. the next morning and dead by 3 p.m. in the afternoon. That night, before this, he had humbly washed his disciples' feet to show them an example of what it means to be a humble follower and to be a servant. On that night, he shared his last supper with them. He predicted the betrayal of Judas and the denial of Peter. Now, the conversations that take place here, the instruction of Jesus, uh, likely takes place after this meal and after they leave the room where they had that dinner, on the way to the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus will pray uh, before he's arrested. In verses 1 through 3, we read about the imagery of fruit bearing. Jesus used this language as a metaphor, even as an allegory here. And and when he did, it was to teach about spiritual truth. There there is truth that he is metaphorically going to be talking about. And first we have imagery that comes from the Old Testament. And we see in Isaiah chapter 5 an example of this. God compares himself with his people. So this is a nation, Israel. And this whole concept is mentioned many times in the Old Testament. This is just one. And the prophet Isaiah uh, speaks for God. He said, I will sing for the one I love as a song about his vineyard. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside, he dug it up and cleared it of stones and planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it and cut out a wine press as well. So the idea is that God has planted a vineyard and he is taking care of it and he's providing it the best opportunity for growth, for production, for effectiveness. Next slide. Then he looked for a crop of good grapes because that's what the purpose of the vines for four is to grow good grapes or good fruit, but it yielded only bad fruit. And then God speaks, now you dwellers in Jerusalem and people of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more could have been done for my vineyard than I've done for it? Next slide. When I looked for good grapes, why did it yield only bad? Now, I will tell you what I'm going to do to my vineyard. I will take it away its hedge and it will be destroyed. I will break down its wall and it will be trampled. Next slide, the, verse 7. And here's the, the interpretation. The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel and the people of Judah are the vines he delighted in. He looked for justice. That would be fruit, good fruit. But Saul bloodshed bad fruit he looked for righteousness good fruit and he only he heard of cries of distress and so the the picture of the vineyard is that how god has worked with his people in the past and he had hopes for something good to grow from them to be produced by them for them to be effective in what he had called them to now we come to the imagery of jesus in um John chapter 15 verses 1 through 3 and Jesus begins, I am the true vine. Does that make sense when we see it in the context of the Old Testament? God's people, God was looking for fruit. It's changing now in the New Testament. Jesus is the vine. He says, I am if you know the Gospel of John, there are seven "I am statements in the book. This is the very last one. For example, John :658, Jesus says, "I am the bread of life." John 8:12, he says, "I am the light of the world." John 10:9, he says, "I am the gate, the gate for the sheep." In John 10:11, he says, "I am the good shepherd of the sheep." In John 11:25, he says, "I am the resurrection and the life." John 14, 6, one of my favorite verses. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus says, I am the true vine, the genuine vine. I am the real deal. I am here to replace Israel. He cuts off every branch, verse 2. Every branch in me, he says, that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it'll even be more fruitful. The goal is fruit-bearing. The goal is for people to be who Jesus wants them to be. And And he talks about his role is that of the vine, His father is the gardener, the caretaker, the vine dresser, and his job is caring for the branches, and the branches are those who attach themselves to Christ, those people even who profess to be followers of Christ. But we see there are two kinds of branches. Um, Verse 2, he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. There are some branches that bear no fruit. They get cut off. There's a second group of branches that does bear fruit. The Father prunes them. Two groups of branches. And we're going to develop this a little bit more, but that's why I think they are. this group includes those who attach themselves hang out with, want to be around Jesus and his people. First century example, Judas of Iscariot. Okay, we'll come back to this. Now, verse 3 says, You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. So the vine is Jesus. He's the center of life. He is the life giver. That's, he's the source. That's where nourishment and vitality come from. There is an organic relationship between the branches and the vine. And there is no life apart from that real genuine connection with the vine. And the Father is the one who takes care of the branches. The father prunes. The father takes things away. Uh, one of the things not that I know a whole lot about personally, but something that I've read about is that there is a group of people called viticulturalists, and I know that they take care of the vines. They are experts with vineyards. And if you take a vine and it's left without care, it will keep growing, and it will produce sucker shoots. And they just keep growing and keep spreading, but they stop producing fruit because it takes so much energy. The sucker shoots just suck the life, the vitality from the vine. And they're not effective at producing fruit. There are probably things in our lives that drain vitality from our spiritual lives. Call them sucker shoots. Things that we may be genuine Christ followers, but things that drain our spiritual energy from us. What would be a sucker shoot for you? Could be a lot of different things. It, you know, sometimes just uh, screen time takes a lot of energy out of life. Uh, sometimes it's busyness. Sometimes it's busyness doing good things. So busy, I don't have time. As as Jesus has asked us is to slow down and to connect with Him and to pray. We looked at that last week. There's there's a lot of things careers, providing for our families can demand so much that it has an impact on our spiritual lives. And that's why the Christian life needs discipline. That's why we have to choose our priorities and um, what's important and how do we keep pushing our spiritual relationship with God. To the top? How do we keep pushing his priorities to the top and keep our priorities or those demands around us under his lordship? Um, and Jesus says here in verse three, he says, You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. And he's speaking to uh, the 11 disciples. Guess what? Judas, Judas has already left the room. Jesus has already predicted that he would betray him. Judas has already left to go to the high priest, and his plan is to betray Jesus. That's why Jesus is separating the eleven from Judas. You, in this room, he's saying, are clean. You You have been spiritually cleansed, your sins have been forgiven. Why? Not because you went out and did all these good things. It is because you've received the word of God. You have received, you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ. And um, John 13, verses 10 and 11, Jesus said this. So this is a chapter where he washes the disciples' feet um, right before their last supper. He said, Those who have had a bath need only wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. This is after Peter says, you know, Jesus wants to wash Peter's feet. And Peter says, no, not mine. I'm not going to let you do that. Then Jesus says, you got to do it. And he goes on to say, and you are clean, though not every one of you. And that's referring to Judas. For he knew who was going to betray him And that is why he said not everyone was clean. Um, So the meaning of fruit bearing we see in uh, our next section, just as uh, uh, the genetic code of an apple seed determines that there will be an apple tree Resulting in apples, it's in the genetic code. There is a genetic code in your spiritual life. There's a genetic code, a spiritual genetic code to produce what God has planted in your life and it is to become more like Jesus. For example, Galatians 5, and 23. The Apostle Paul says, "...but the fruit of the Spirit is love." If you are a genuine follower of Christ and you grow spiritually, there there are certain character qualities that God will work out in your life. If you place your faith in Christ, God gave you the Holy Spirit to live in you. He's there to guide you, to prompt you, to encourage you, sometimes to convict you of your sin. But as you grow spiritually and he works out in your life, these character qualities are on display. Fruit, love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And by the way, those are totally against my nature. This is Jesus' nature. And um, god works to bear fruit in our lives to change us in james god's wisdom is described as fruit james three seventeen. he says but the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure then peace loving considerate submissive full of mercy and good fruit Wisdom that comes from above. Wisdom that comes from God. Wisdom that comes from the scriptures. Wisdom that comes with a walk with Christ through life. Bears good fruit. Things like purity, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, being impartial. Good fruit. The Apostle Peter would call this fruit the outgrowth of the spiritual life in second peter chapter 1 verses 5 through 9 he says for this very reason make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to persever- perseverance godliness and to godliness mutual affection and to mutual affection love next slide for if you possess these qualities Character qualities, spiritual fruit, uh, qualifications that help us become more like Jesus, will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive. Because God wants us to be effective and he wants us to be productive. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Luke chapter 8, verse 8 is another little picture of fruit in the parable of the sower. If you remember the story, Jesus talks about sowing seed. Sower goes out to sow seed. He encounters four kinds of soil. There's hard-packed soil on the path. There's rocky soil. There's thorny soil. And finally, there's good soil. And this is the good soil or the good heart that receives the word of God. Still, other seed fell on good soil that came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. When he said this, he called out, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Now, one thing this probably includes is that people come to faith in Christ and more and more the the principle of multiplication where one person receives the word and shares it with another person and then it begins to multiply. The essentials of fruit bearing are verses 4 and 5. And first, the key is to remain in a close, obedient walk with Christ. Verse 4, Jesus says, Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Some versions have the word abide instead of remain. The idea is... Hang close. Stay tightly connected with Jesus. Stay very close in your relationship with Christ. Don't move away. Don't wander off. Don't get distracted. Don't be overcome by sucker shoots of life that drain off your energy. Stay closely connected. Jesus said, if you stay close to me, I will stay close to you. Now, Jesus is in you through the Holy Spirit. So there's that kind of closeness. But he's talking about relationship. He's talking about an intimate relationship with him. He says, if you will stay close, I will stay close. And you're going to know it. And you're going to experience comfort. You're going to experience peace. You're going to experience joy at different times. And it's very clear that you can only bear fruit if you are closely connected with Christ, if you remain. This word remain is kind of important because I think it's like 11 times in the first 10 verses of John 15. Remain, 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 remain. It's kind of important, that the teaching that Jesus has. You know, relationships are about spending time with the person you, you care for, that you want to be in relationship. It's about... In our relationship with Christ, it's about spending time. It requires time to listen to what God has to say to us. We, we do that through uh, scriptures, the word of God. We, we, we learn about who he is. We learn about his character. We learn how he's uh, behaved in history, how, how he's worked among the lives of people, how he's answered prayer. We learn that from scriptures. And it's easy to spot false theology sometimes if you just know some basics about Scripture, about what God has already said to us. And God's Word is not just um, empty or dead facts. It's alive. It It has a spiritual dynamic, and it works, and it stirs things up, and it changes, and it nourishes us. It strengthens us. And we also need to communicate with the person we want to be in a relationship. We need to talk. We need to share. Sometimes we may need to vent. God can handle that part. Honesty with God. Relationship. But staying close. Jesus said just before this in chapter 14, verse 15, he said, If you love me, keep my commands. You want to be close to Jesus, follow Him. Do what He says. The whole idea is that Jesus is Lord, He's Master. I want to be His servant. I've tried a lot of other things, but they don't work very well. I try to do things on myself sometimes. I'd, one of the worst things I've ever experienced is trying to get up and teach. In my own strength. It's very painful. Um, he talks about John 14, 21, similar idea, is uh, whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Jesus says, if you, if you follow, if you remain in me, Father loves you. I will love you. And this, just isn't, this is more than he loved you enough to die for you. It's about being in a close relationship. He said, I will show myself to you. I will display my power to you, my strength, my character. Secondly, it is possible to stop growing and bearing fruit because of a disconnect in our spiritual lives. We see that in verse 5. We can be overtaken by things in our lives, sucker shoots like busyness, and you can name things that distract you. Something like pornography takes people way off track energy-wise and distraction-wise, even Christ-followers. John 15, 5 says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Uh, Fruit bearing, think of this, leads to pruning. And then it leads to more fruit. If you are a genuine Christ follower, God will prune you. He may take something away from you, out of your life. I don't know. I'm not one here to tell you when God has pruned you. One of my favorite old timers was J. Vernon McGee. and I didn't, When I first came to faith in Christ, I heard him on the radio and I thought, I don't like this guy. He's from Texas. He has this big southern drawl. But as I began to grow as a Christ follower, I began more and more to listen to his teaching And I gained more and more respect for him. And he died in 1988 of cancer. And he wrote along the way that God had pruned him. And he said, I know what it is to be pruned. And sometimes it really hurts. And he went on to say he was thankful that God had pruned him with cancer. Now, I'm, I'm just telling you what Jay Vernon McGee said about his own experience. I'm not here to say that anybody who's, who has cancer, who has had cancer, is being pruned. But God does use our circumstances. Sometimes it pulls our, the props out. Not because we were doing something bad, but we are forced to depend on him more than ever. And then the very last part of verse 5. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Here is a warning for us. Apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. If we don't rely on Christ, our efforts fail. At least from an eternal perspective, from a spiritual dimension. The danger is for you and I as Christ followers is to go through the motions, to do good things, to be Christian-like without the strength and power of Christ, without his life-giving strength and vitality in us. We do it in our own vitality and the result is failure just to go through the motions, to slide along, to serve the church, and to serve our families in our own strength. How can we teach kids about the Christian life in our own strength? We can't. They don't get it. They don't experience it. And they don't learn from mom and dad. They just see motions. If I repeat the motions, will I get good results? You know, this is really important to ministry in the church. It's possible, for example, to teach bridge kids every week in your own energy. It's possible to be an usher every week for the next 40 years without serving Christ. If you did it every Sunday. It's possible to sing on the worship team or play on the worship team or any other ministry in our own strength. It's possible. It's possible to be a greeter in our own strength. That's nice. There's a warm body there, but maybe not representing Christ. And I can say it's possible to preach a sermon in your own strength. And then verse 6. We have the danger of failure, ultimate failure. He says, if you do not remain in me and you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers, such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. This goes back to verse 2. Some branches the Father prunes, genuine Christ followers. Some branches are discarded. They are taken away. They are thrown into the fire and burned. And I would say, as I understand the Scriptures, this is not a genuine Christ follower. Uh, This is a person who has attached themselves like Judas. Can you imagine Judas being around Jesus almost every day for three years and not getting it? And I can tell you from experience in the life of the church, even good churches where the Word of God is preached and the Gospel is proclaimed that people can hang out in church without ever placing their faith in Christ and being born again and given a new nature and given the Holy Spirit in their lives. It's possible. And Jesus gives us that warning. Jesus spoke of this future time when branches would be thrown into the fire although he didn't call them that In Matthew 25 verses 31 and 33 he talks about the end times when Jesus will come back the son of man who is Jesus when the son of man comes in his glory at the the end of the age all the angels with him he will sit on his glorious throne and all the nations will be gathered before him one day and he will separate the people One from another as a shepherd separates sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. So he's saying, if you want to divide humanity into two groups at the end of the age, there are going to be those who know Christ personally and those who don't know Christ personally. One group on the left, one group on the right. And then verse 46, next slide. Then they will go away, the goats, to eternal punishment on the left, but on the right, the righteous to eternal life. So, understand what God requires for your life. We see that in verses 1 through 6. Now, in verses 7 and 8, I will hopefully quickly... Walk through this with you. Number two, expect God to answer prayer when your heart is aligned with His heart. We see in verse 7, the issue of heart alignment. If you remain in me. There it is again. If you remain. This is a condition. If you remain in me and my words remain in you. So consider this a condition of answered prayer. If you as a Christ follower, stay close to Jesus in your relationship where you're taking in God's word. And if this is important, you you, want to make it regular, not just periodically. Oh yeah, I sometimes do this. Well, that may be your pattern, but is that really close? If you remain in me and my words remain in you, if you're living out your faith, if you're following Jesus, relying on God's word, that's a condition. It's about staying close to Jesus daily. Verse 7, the issue of asking God. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Ask. We are invited to ask God on many occasions throughout Scripture to ask, to seek, to not. We are instructed that we ought always pray and never give up. We are instructed to seek God's kingdom principles, priorities first and ours second. We are to ask in faith, we are to be specific when we pray. And when our hearts are aligned with God, ask, expect Him to answer. When our priorities are aligned with His priorities, and when our heart begins to beat with His heart because His Word is alive and working in our life, and when the Holy Spirit is leading us, expect God to answer because we are beginning to want what he wants. We are beginning to desire what he desires. Now, this, is this the only time that God will answer prayer? I wouldn't say that. I think God can answer prayer whenever he wants to for whatever reason he wants to. Sometimes he answers prayer just to get us moving toward trusting him. I've seen so many times... When families are in crisis, they ask for help and they ask for prayer and they call the church. They may even come into the office and they, they tell the story and they ask for prayer and people pray and friends that they ask prayer for come alongside. And, and sometimes those families who maybe haven't been very connected to the church all of a sudden get connected. And you might even see them in a group group Small group. And then, over time, God answers prayer, and some of the initial problems or the crisis passes, and they just begin to fall back in the way they used to do things. And sometimes they repeat the very same crisis that they already had. God answered prayer, but they didn't stay close in their walk with God. They were overjoyed when he answered But they just begin to slide backwards. Um, The issue of honoring God in verse 8. Jesus said, This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. There's a progression here. We are to bear fruit. We get pruned. We bear more fruit. We get pruned. We bear much fruit. Are you okay if God wants to prune you and take off some of the sucker shoots that have happened in your life? And he hasn't called me to tell you what they are, okay? So when our hearts are in step with Jesus, he says, ask whatever you wish, it will be given to you. It's not whatever you want. It's not about your happiness or your comfort. It's about what God desires, And when we do, when our hearts get aligned and we ask God, it brings glory to God. This is to the Father's glory. This magnifies his name. It gives credit where credit is due. And we get an answered prayer. God is honored. And Jesus is going to go on to say in the next two verses, which we're not going to look at today, that joy comes with that. That joy comes and jesus says this proves that you are my disciples when your heart beats with my heart so when your personal life is aligned with jesus's personal life expect god to answer when you are disconnected from god expect nothing From God. So uh, let's close by going back to the 100 year Moravian prayer meeting. On January 25th, 1736, back to the history lesson, a man named John Wesley was traveling home on a ship from America to London. He was an Anglican minister trained. He went to America, to the southern states, to be a missionary and he was he totally failed and he was defeated on this particular day a great violent storm came up it was so uh violent that all the passengers and the crew were terrified except there was a group of moravian missionaries who were singing hymns and they did not seem afraid because They trusted God who was in charge. John Wesley was amazed by their faith and he had never seen anything like this before. After Wesley returned to London in 1736, it took two years, in 1738 he decided to go to a Moravian church meeting and John Wesley understood the gospel of grace for the very first time. Later, he wrote in his journal, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust Christ, Christ alone, for my salvation. and assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins, even mine. Some of you know the name John Wesley, some of you don't. The Moravian prayer movement had a huge impact on history John Wesley became a great evangelist, planting churches throughout America. And he had a method to do this. And he was called the Methodist. And it was very successful in the 18th century. John's brother Charles Wesley became a Christ follower as well. And he became an evangelist and a great hymn writer of the Christian faith. Wesley's friend... George Whitfield also became a Christ follower. He was in a small group Bible study with John, and he too would become a great evangelist. I've read a 500 page biography of George Whitfield. He was one of my favorite heroes of the faith. Uh, hundreds of thousands came to faith in Christ through the First Great Awakening. Um, Benjamin Franklin was a friend of George Whitfield. And he said there were times they had meetings out in the open air, they didn't have big stadiums and they didn't have sound systems, that George Whitfield could preach to 30,000 people gathered to hear the gospel of Christ. And this was called the first great awakening by historians. It had a huge impact on America. Churches were planted, orphanages were started, hospitals were founded. How important is prayer for you? How important is prayer? Billy Graham once said, Heaven is full of answers to prayer for which no one has bothered to ask. Let's stand and pray. Father, thank you for Jesus' words in John 15. Lord, may we be clear that Jesus is our source of life and nourishment and health physically and spiritually. May we examine our own lives to consider just how connected we are. May we think about are there sucker shoots in our lives that need to be stopped, plucked, taken away, pruned things that we can do voluntarily that we don't have to have some kind of painful experience. Lord may you be pleased to bear fruit through us. May we grow in our understanding of prayer. May we grow in our faith and our dependence on you. Lord, help us to align our priorities under the lordship of Jesus Christ and seek his kingdom first. In Jesus' name, amen.